the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Thanks for joining me on another edition, episode, whatever you want to call it, of Perk It Pod. And shout out to my boy Taylor Robert for singing and composing the theme song. Dude's amazing. His new music coming out called Free World. Check him out on Instagram at the Taylor Robert. On this podcast, we like to get in the head of Minnesota sports icons and influencers. And one person who I think totally fits that bill is Lifetime Fitness owner and founder and CEO, Baramak Radi. What a success story this guy has. And what a vision for continued success. Frankly, this guy is inspiring just to be around. And it was fascinating to pick his brain this time. Although I'll be straight up, whenever I get him one-on-one, I always find myself feeling sort of like a slacker. I don't know. Like I should probably be doing more for my personal wellness, Uh, which brings me to this portion of the podcast I refer to as random ranks. Here now, my top 11 worst names for a fitness center. These aren't true fitness centers. These are fictitious. But in my mind, these would be horrible names if you were starting a fitness center. Number 11, Pexar Us. (laughs) Uh, Number 10, Get Jacked. Number nine, the Buff Palace. Number eight, Fit or Die. Seven, Flex Factory. Just doesn't work. Number six, Downton Abs. <laughs> I'm sorry. Number five, James Jim. James Jim Jim is Jim. Never mind. Um, number four, Six Pack Shack. Yeah, these are getting bad. Number three, the Zen Den. <laughs> That's more of like a yoga. Fruit at the bottom, yoga, yoga. Number two, dumbbell boot camp. That's just, I don't know. And number one, <laughs> let's get through this. Number one, the worst fitness center name, Squat Mart, everybody. Thank you very much. On the flip side, and one that makes total sense, once you understand what they're all about, Lifetime Fitness, a company that started here in the Twin Cities back in the early 90s and has grown into a global brand that is so much more now than just a place to work out. Baram Akradi is the man behind it all. He is the founder, the owner, the CEO, and very much a man who walks the talk, if you know what I'm talking about. Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal recently named him the executive of the year for 2020. And talking with him, hearing his passions is plenty of exercise, if you ask me. Here now, my conversation from his Chanhassen office, Baram Akradi. Perk Sometimes he's at play. Perk Who's coming on today? Perk So, Baram, we are sitting here um, in sort of like this this campus, right? This is sort of like the lifetime headquarter campus here in Chanhassen, Minnesota. What what you've created? Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's exciting. It's really fun to watch. Uh, this vision come together and it and really take hold as a concept of a whole healthy way of life right and uh, when I started the business uh, my vision was to build a big health and well-being company having it become where we're now we're doing lifetime villages with you know beautiful luxury rental apartment units as well as residences as well as lifetime work where people can have you know super high-end co-working environment fully executed by lifetime style along with the 
club itself, the resort and all the amenities. And then we're also doing some projects now where the early stages of designing a couple of projects where there's a lifetime stay, lifetime hotel on the on the properties as well. So you are you're taking over the world, basically. No, <laughs> no, no. But you are you're certainly you, you keep pushing the envelope. And, and it seems like just hearing you say this, um, when you first started, you had the big vision, right? Is it, you didn't just go in wanting to start a health club. You had you had a much grander scope and scale. I did. I didn't really think of the fitness category alone as a category that it's sustainable forever because the way that we achieve fitness, whether if it's yoga or group fitness or you're doing lift, lifting ma machines or whatever you're doing, yeah. a lot of it changes. If you reflect back in the last 20 years, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, we couldn't teach enough step classes. Yep. Uh, they were packed and people were outside the door and today there's nobody doing step class. So it gives itself to the next hip thing. So while fitness is more or less a fad, the way you achieve the modality of fitness is a fad, the healthy way of life is a mega trend. More people are engaged in athletic events, variety of them, more people are doing physical fitness, more people care about their health and well-being than ever before. So it has been growing forever. Did you I, see that happening way, way back in when, so 90-ish or, 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 or thereabouts? Did you kind of see that that trend, that mega trend was where you wanted to go? I did yeah. and I had a clue. I was reading somewhere this story about the railroad industry that they limited their thoughts to being railroad rather than transportation. And how would that be different if the railroad companies thought of themselves as a transportation company? Of course, they would own shipping and you know, airplanes and all different kinds of modality of you know, travel and uh, moving people around or packages, etc. So I thought that I didn't want to think small. I didn't really want to be pigeonhole myself into fitness. I really wanted to make it become healthy way of life, brought all aspects of healthy living and healthy aging. And that was it. That was really the, the goal. And then the other thing was always was totally focused on making sure the experience for my customer, however, whoever the customer is, where they come, what type of business, doesn't matter. The experience for the customer was exceptional. And it's just the golden rule. You try to deliver more than you promise and the people are happy. You deliver less than you commit to and people become unhappy. It's not, it's not rocket science. Right. And so when you pay attention to it with just that common sense, I'm gonna commit to my customer to do this or my team members, I'm gonna do that. And then I'm gonna deliver my commitment and hopefully go a little bit beyond. It continually pushes itself. And part of the reason the company has now become this much bigger entity of development, our lifetime development, there's 450 people in it. We are architects, engineers, designers, uh, construction company, mill shop, plumbers. We do all of this work 
for ourselves. And we're doing six, seven, eight hundred million dollars worth of development per year right now. That's so much. And so, but all of that was again coming back to the customer. How could I give them more? but not charge them as much. In order to do that, I had to create a vertically oriented organization so we could build a club that normally would cost 70 million for 50 million uh, or 55 million so that the customer could get a huge value proposition. And all of this has kind of led itself and listening to the customer, they loved the convenience of everything we created. Yeah. And now the idea that you can live, work, play, uh, you know, and go to lifetime sport, kids can do this, you can do swim, you can do spa, you can do personal trainer, you can do your, uh, you know, your chiropractor, all in South Dallas, an example. You know, we've got the club under construction with the rooftop uh, pool. We've got lifetime work and lifetime sport, both under construction. Uh, by the end of this year, all of this will be open. And as of right now, I'm working with David Simon of the Simon Properties to build the, you know, kind of a 26-story luxury townhomes yeah. uh, that are for rent. And now you can have the whole village all together. But if you think about that as a convenience for people, it will make you be so much more efficient for yourself. You can take three or four or five of these trips you would normally have to make in a car, lose time, burn gas, and at least half your daily trips are eliminated when you put the whole village together. Now, that's good for the person. It's healthy for people. They have more time. They're less stressed. And it's also healthier for our planet. If I can cut the trips people make from nine trips to four or five a day, yeah. I don't have to worry about, you know, pollution as much. Sure. So I love how this thing is coming. It's got the right mind and it's got the right soul. You know, again, I tell my people, think through the issues with your head and then execute them through your heart. And it, it has to have the culture of love and care embedded in it. You gotta care. You gotta want to create the next best thing and constantly push that. And as long as you do that, life is exciting. So when, I, when you talk about the creation, right, and, and, and you talk about each step along the way, you'd mentioned that you listen to your customer. That, that must have been a huge, pro, pro, uh, that must have been a huge step in, in getting to where you wanted to get, right? In knowing that, okay, this is what the consumer wants, this is how, I think I can deliver it to them. And then did that, did that help you in, in the growth process or at least the creative process in, in moving on? Yes. And the customer, in our case, is telling us what they want in multiple ways, right? You don't need to have, you know, constants, you know, what people call surveys or uh, focus groups. Our focus group is right in front of our eyes. Yeah. You know, basically, you go to the club, and you can watch the customers move, move around and do. You can see, is it a frown on their face or a smile on their face? Uh, it's so easy for us to observe our customer and then just listen. Sometimes the customers say to you enough times, God, I love this place so much, I wish I could live here. You know, I'm, you know, I'm here four hours a day, I love this. 
So they're telling us they want to live there. So or, want, or you're seeing them on their laptops trying to get all their work done. Yes. Well, yeah. And they're just basically telling you by observing them. They can tell you if you're if you're astute enough, if you're observing intently enough, you basically pick up all those things. And so we run an NPS, the Net Promoter Score. We check with our customer, but we do it across you know every business unit cafe, spa, pools, aquatics, and then the whole club. And we're listening to see if the customer likes the business enough to recommend it to somebody else and at what level. And so by being constantly focused on this relationship between you and the people who make your business come together, right. the customer is what makes your business happen. And then the next piece for us is our team members. We are this year. We're going to close the year with roughly about forty thousand employees. It's a massive number of employees across the country, and these team members are really the soul inside of these villages or the buildings. Surround yourself with good people. Well, and our customers, our members, love our team members, and it's a it is a relationship there. And so we cannot create happiness of the customer without creating happiness of our team member. So these are all the things that myself and the rest of our executive team are constantly focused on to we bring this culture of care, love and happiness together and the members and team members alike, they, they are the soul of this buildings that we put together. It well, all has to work. It has to run through the filter of, of that care, love, and happiness. Care, thing. love, and exactly. Yeah. The, um, if you would talk to me about sort of uh, the, the, the sort of cr creative force that you are also, because obviously you're a great leader, you're, you're an esteemed executive businessman, but you also have to be very creative person, right. I, I would imagine, to, to constantly be thinking of the next thing. Are you sort of, what's your motor like on that front? Like, do you have to ever, are you able to ever turn that off or, or does that just, and when does stuff come to you at the weirdest yeah, times? It's or a, It's true. It comes, you know, uh, at all kinds of times. Yeah. You know, when I'm biking for five hours up straight up the mountain and by myself many days and I'm biking alone and literally an hour into that pedaling, it's just the brain starts opening up and you think about all different things, all different approaches, all different solutions. But here's what I say to you. I love, I'm crazy about riddles and solving problems. I like to design, create anything, and then I like to fix things. I like to pro I like problem solve. And I haven't been any different since I, as early as I remember, 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old in school, I always looked for the most difficult problems that other kids couldn't solve. And those were the ones I was excited uh, to go spend till four in the morning if it took that long. Interesting. I wasn't particularly studious. Uh, right. I wasn't one that you know finished all the homework and everything. Some of the said. greatest minds aren't. Yeah, what I was more was give me give me something that was challenging uh, problem to solve and then i was i was excited so today i'm lucky because what i do for myself and lifetime uh is really what i love to do 
Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not what. It's not for money. It's not for the next chapter of what I can make. It's really what I love to do. And then, naturally, what I have been good at is geometry, space, design, and pulling things, connecting dots. That's my my strength. And convergence of those two things, which is what I tell everybody, find what are you the only of, what are you specially gifted for, yeah. and what would you do for free, right? What are you passionate about? And if you can find the convergence of those two things, life is beautiful from there forward. There it is. It doesn't matter if you put in, put in 11 hours or 12 hours. It's what you love to do. It's what you're good at. And the result is always exceptional. And if, that, and if the gift is the passion, then, then you're in the honey hole. I mean, that, that's, that's the sweet spot. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that convergence, I think, is, and that's what so many people seek for, right? 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 Exactly. I, I would imagine that so many people, so a lot of people, sadly, aren't able to find, right? right. But I think it takes work. When, when I have young you know, kids out of school come to me and they're looking for advice, or whenever I'm interviewing, I actually send people away for days. I don't want the quick answer. There isn't actually a, the quick answer is not the right answer. I want to, I want to say that. Sometimes it is, most of the time it isn't. You know, I want people to, I give them those two questions and I tell them to go think about it for two, three days. Write it down and then make sure it is the answer a day later. Go back to it. And when you know for sure what are the things you would do for free, and what are the things that you're uniquely you know, exceptional at, then come back and then we can talk about the next session. Uh, you really need to dig deep to see what that is. You know, for me, people automatically assume I am passionate about health and fitness, okay? It's true. <laughs> okay, but, um, but, I was gonna but, say, is it, whew, okay. But, but it's not, it's actually not the actual answer. I'm passionate about designing and solving problem health and fitness is one category but you can we can talk about anything that i can see issues around our societies and i'm equally as passionate about offering ideas or solutions for those things whether it's education that's, if it's that's fascinating because i think that that's where a lot of people yeah, and even people at really high levels sort of get stuck at because they they have they have they may have visions but they don't know how to get there and they, they and they don't and they don't maybe have the mindset to to figure out and and come up with those solutions and almost be obsessive about them to get them done to get them done yes and i also think that you know as we as we reflect on our world right you know this this is one of the most consuming topics in my head. When I was seven, but 50, 51 years ago, I remember reading population of Earth being around 3 billion. And today is about 7, 6, 7.7 billion. And so when we look at this and how it's growing, we actually all are seeking all of us across the world, mayors, governors, presidents, everybody is seeking economic growth. 
Well, the reality is, you look at all the countries today who are having economic issues, okay, Europe, uh, you know, all countries that they're having negative interest rates, sure. they're trying to grow, they're all flat or they're losing population. And where is the growth coming? Where is the economic growth coming? Is the countries, emerging countries where population is still exploding. So from chasing the economic growth engine, we, wa we all want more population. So we can sell more Apple phones, we can sell more Samsung phones, we can sell more TVs, I can build more health clubs. That all makes sense. But if we are reflecting on our globe uniquely as just responsible for the globe, not for this state, that city, etc., do we really seeking more population growth? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And so starting to kind of think about issues that they're broader than my day-to-day -day work. I mean, this is, I've been blessed, I'm telling you. I'm blessed with my team members. I'm blessed with our members. I'm totally blessed with how this vision has come together. And I'm trying to find ways that I can give more to our planet and our people and our society, even beyond even beyond what we do with lifetime, which is again, you know, kind of pursuing healthy way of life for everyone. But healthy way of life is a mantra, it's a concept. It's not just fitness, it's how you think about relationships, it's how you think about the world, how you think about the planet, how you think about trees. And so really allowing your brain to think about allowing yourself go and think about these bigger issues when you have the luxury of thinking about them, right? And then seeing what can I do and take, I have the courage to take action. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, feel almost as though that's a responsibility? Absolutely, I do. I think, you know, when folks are so busy from the crack of morning till midnight, working their tail end off to just make enough money to pay rent, pay for their car. They're, they're dealing with the more basic necessities of life. It's not that they aren't as capable or as talented or as thoughtful. They're just consumed with the basic stuff. Yeah. For those people on the planet where you have been more blessed and you have more of those basic necessities uh, all automatically taken care of, then it is your responsibility to think about the greater good of the whole uh, community. And you got to do what you can. You got to do everything you can. But I don't feel like we're focused enough as, a, as, the, as, as the globe. I think we are fighting too much infighting between our own politicians, between the governments, between countries. Everybody is still thinking about their personal gains agenda yes, agenda and sure. we really need to think a little bit more globally because i think this population growth resources you know depletion of resources water oxygen of uh, you know energy uh, you, do you think about all those things they're going to come on up on us much faster than people are paying attention to and so, again, I, I am thinking about all these things. I try to do my fair share of 
what can I do? How can I, you know, create alignment and get a bigger group of people to think about important issues around uh, our world and health and well-being of people? In that case, I mean, you're a visionary too. I mean, because you're seeing, you're 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 able to kind of let yourself look into what the big picture is and what's next and what's coming next, and and then to then couple that with the global responsibility. You're you're a you're kind of a stud. No, I appreciate. That. I don't think so. But I do think what what I what I came to grips with maybe about the about seven, eight, ten years ago was that it isn't an either or. You don't have to either do your job or do those things. You can do both. You can actually run your business and try to lead organizations, groups, talks, and talk about important global issues that impact all people. And is that, is that sort of when you saw the shift to go into uh, a lot more lifestyle facilities and, and, and just go beyond, beyond the health clubs and, and go into the living spaces and the commercial real estate and all that stuff? Is that kind of, did that kind of go hand in hand, do you think? I think it actually, that, is the culmination of the lifetime brand reaching a place where the customer respects it, trusts it, and basically says, I, I trust this brand, and if you build lifetime work, I come to it. And they are, they're happy, and it's working. That, that feedback has been good so far? Absolutely. I mean, every location is running beautifully. Every location is profitable. I mean, it's, it's going really well. And then Lifetime Living, we literally have, for every one of the apartments, units that we have announced, we have multiples, multiples uh, of the units we have, people on a wait list for these units. It's because, again, they want the whole package. They want the community of the club and the conveniences of everything we offer. So that's just connecting the dots for what is next for our brand? What is the next steps, natural steps for our brand to kind of continue itself? But where I go with beyond that, with the stuff about social and civic responsibilities and duties, is where I really think the middle of the road, the people who today Life is good. Your life, Jason's life, everybody's life is good enough. You know, you have your stuff. You're living a good life. We, we are content and we don't engage, right, in, in the radical discussions of right and left. Because it disrupts the comfort zone. Exactly. Yes. Disrupts the comfort zone. It's too complicated, so right. I don't need to deal with it. So I've been just giving this example to a lot of people, and this is where I want to caution people that are just staying out of it, not to, because I left Iran when I was 17, 1978. I was pretty, pretty involved in politics, understanding that even at that age, I was totally paying attention to you know, our country and situation. But if at that time, you asked me or anybody what's the likelihood a year from now there would be a complete revolution and life will never be the same, uh, I would tell you you're crazy. But within 12 months, 
a few percent, not more than one or two percent total radicals hijacked the country and it has never come back. Still the same, right? I've never been back in 41 years. I've never been back there. I don't have real interest to go back, mm. you know, because I feel like it, it's just not running the way to the best interest of the citizens of the country and the world. So, however, I just want to caution the people in the U.S. While things are looking fantastic for all of us, right? The day is beautiful. You have your food. You have everything. You can't get too comfortable. You got to get engaged. You have to be. It's, it's our it's our civic duty to be engaged and make sure we are heard. Our opinion matters because if the large majority of people who are in the middle in their social, in their policies, in whatever, don't engage. The only wheels, the squeaky wheels, are the far one side and far the other. And oh. that's what you see today. And those are the things that goes through my head. Again, it's not political. I don't have a side to the Republican or Democrat at all. I just want to be clear. I'm not pitching for one group or the other. I just want the American people to recognize we have a phenomenal country. Things are amazingly good here. We're one of the only economies in the world who is not in somewhat of a trouble at this point, but we're not totally isolated. You know, it's a global world. But we have a lot of great stuff, but we're screaming all day long. Ain't that the truth? You're right. And so I think, and by the We're screaming from our bubbles, too. And, and when we are not really appreciating all that it is good, we can make bad decisions because we're only focusing on certain things. And so at the end of the day, the, the left and right have to come together and serve America, serve Americans, and they have to come together and for the greater good of the whole globe. U.S. with the luxury that we have, with the country we have, with the power and resources we have, we should be the calming and great example for other countries how to kind of model after the, our success. But unfortunately, we're not celebrating our successes. We're just screaming and yelling and throwing mud at each other. And it, I don't think we're helping, not only we're not helping ourselves, I don't think we're helping anybody in the world either. And do you think that noise has kind of just ramped up in the last several years? Yeah, I think it's just gotten increasingly more disrespectful and loud. It is not enough substance in the discussions. It's just attacks. And um, I think the citizens have the responsibility to step in and say, we don't want this. Are you worried about how wired we've become too, to a degree or not? Or do you think that that's a contributing factor to, to, to all this sort of loudness? <laughs> yeah, I, I encourage all people to not allow the headlines brainwash them because almost everybody who issues these headlines have an agenda. And so what they need to do is they need to dig deeper and they need to understand the issues more in depth and don't allow themselves be more or less dragged by the 
special interest groups to one side or the other. And, and all it requires is more intense focus on understanding the whole issue and not just the headline. That's, that's, that, that's stuff to think about for sure. Right. Yeah. And, and so you, you, t you brought up Iran and, and you, you did come here and just, just by way of background, um, you immediately got into the fitness world when you came to Minnesota. Why did you come to Minnesota? What was it? A, what what brought you here specifically? It was fitness. So it I was. I went I went from Iran to Colorado Springs straight in 1978. Okay. I went to school for electrical engineering. Okay. And just as I was finishing my double E degree, I was working in a club, uh, selling memberships, and the people who had those clubs wanted to come to Minnesota and open a club. And long story short, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh, I figured I'll try it. If I don't like it, I'll go do engineering. And then I came here with a friend of mine, still one of my best friends uh, named Mark Zabst. He was 23, I was 21. We were to open the first little 12,000 square feet club. And there was really nothing. I mean, we had to buy pens, pencils, you know, we had to get the all the phone systems. I mean, we literally had to set the whole thing up. And it was kind of school of hard knocks, learning business. Uh, we set up that first club. And then I thought there could be more opportunities. I started negotiating, designing clubs when I was 22 years old. By the time I was 22, uh, 23, I was a partner. Uh, they owed me a bunch of money from the commissions they had promised. Uh, above the base and I just said keep that and I become an equal partner and I built that first chain of clubs that we built ca called US Human Fitness if you remember so I built those um, and it was sometime after about two three years into that I always thought I'm just gonna go back and do engineering this was just a short-term deal and I remember there was a moment in time where I started looking at how we were doing business and how the clubs were designed. There's we that, were, there's that solution based. Yeah. And I'm looking, right I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're not doing this the right way. We're not building it the right way for the customer, but they keep coming back and they really want the, the product. What if it was done all from a customer point of view? What if it was all designed, mm -hmm. not by the owner's perspective, by the customer's perspective? So I went back to drawing board. I started drawing clubs, floor plans, everything, membership types, everything was designed. How would I like it if I was a customer? And that's the genesis of Lifetime. Wow. And then and, and have you always been an athlete or did that kind of space drive you into that direction no i i've always been physically active since i was a kid you know i played soccer in iran you know that came to us were I you did, any good i did, i was pretty good yeah um i was fast so i could make up for a lot of things by my speed which helps almost any sport that requires speed so uh but that that I, then i came here and then i always worked out when i was in college i still made time bef between jobs go to okay. the clubs and work out so, you were doing so that. i've always been involved yeah. yeah and then triathlons came about when when and you you've done such an uh, <laughs> yeah. an amazing amount for for that whole community and and the races that you're involved when and that have you've put on here locally and beyond how cool are, are triathlons to you and then what do you love about them yeah so i remember when i was first approached with this i thought it 
it's really cool because it takes a long duration repetitive exercise but breaks it up between three different disciplines you know running swimming biking and naturally it can be a pretty intense athletic workout from the time and duration tough endurance program but it's less damaging to the joints and body because you're not doing the same exact motion over so I thought it was a fit for what I was preaching, which is, again, healthy way of life approach, uh, even to endurance training. And uh, I, I still think it's one of the most, you know, when you look at triathletes, it takes a lot of discipline because you really have to practice and train three distinct different i don't know how yeah, yeah. I, i'm st i still can't totally wrap my brain around how the elite ones do it and the elite ones are amazing because you know we had remember we had yeah. those guys at the you know at the lifetime uh, triathlon here around the lakes and when you think about they're nearly as fast as olympians in swimming they're nearly <laughs> as fast as olympians in running they're nearly as fast as olympians in biking it it takes a lot and these last several years, I've been spending a lot of time with biking, and you can see the elite bikers, right? They are built a certain way. I mean, it's most, more legs, less yes. weight, upper body. But when you, when you now go to go do swimming, that doesn't work. So a, a triathlete has to be, by nature, more versatile of an athlete, just from a physics standpoint, body type, uh, and all those stuff. So I, I think it's a pretty amazing sport unfortunately it hasn't uh enjoyed really the big explosion the Des last despite your efforts no i know but we, we, and it's it's doing okay i want i wouldn't want to say to you that it's, it's really horrible but uh part of it has been the um distraction of the weekend warriors because what has happened is fragmentation in these sort of a weekend athletics you know there is biking there is you know spartans there is you know tough mothers and there is all sorts of different stuff and that's not bad it's just the fact that it's really taking that the people's time and distributes it amongst a number of different approaches Otherwise, I think, you know, triathlon would have, as a sport, would have continued to grow. Again, more people are doing physical activity, but they're doing a lot of different things. You know what else I think is amazing about it is, is the mental aspect yeah. behind it, too, because the, you, you can train all you want, but, but you get out on the course and you, it starts <laughs> <laughs> the time I did it started messing with my head yeah. I was just like oh you know just trying to push through and persevere and 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 kind of uh tackle those inner demons uh that are telling you that you can't I know what, what I what is really cool even about Leadville races the most important takeaway for everybody who does these things particularly the Leadville 100, whether if it's the bike or the run, because the run roughly 30 hours and the bike is between 10 and 12 hours for most uh, mortal people. Um, and in a, sometime after five or six hours, your body is just done. Mm -hmm. And it really, you don't want to eat. You're tired, but you need to eat. If you don't eat, you bonk. Uh, you don't want to drink, but you have to drink. And... There is, there is at least 
uh, a half a dozen times that your your brain is telling you you got to stop. Yeah. Like you just you're tired, you're exhausted. This is, but to push yourself to will through those times right. and get past those blocks of time where your brain is giving you negative. If you just stay with it, one foot in front of other, another 10 minutes or 15 minutes, your mood shifts. And for a while you get going again and then you get tired again. But, but like you said, fighting those uh, inner demons that says you can't and overcoming it, it's, it's worth every time to put the effort forward and finish the thing. And yeah. I, I have more respect. In Leadville, we have people who literally, they don't make the 12-hour cut, official cutoff, but they come in at 12 and a half or 13 hours of finishing that 100-mile bike race. And I just have even more respect for them because it doesn't matter how tough, that's painful. I can just tell you, doing, having done this 11 times, it is painful. But to gut it out, and not quit is the takeaway that makes them much stronger human being mentally for other challenges in life that comes about and you don't actually have a choice. Mm. Uh, it just happens to you and now you have to, you know, you have to persevere. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. And, and, and gratifying. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing it on your shirt too. You're actually wearing a t-shirt that says, you can do more than you think you can. Yes. It's a pretty good mantra. Yeah, bro. this is from the guy who created these Leadville races, uh, Ken Clover, and he always gives the speech at the day before the race uh, and tells people, dig deep, don't quit, uh, and you can, you can do more than you think you can, and it's true. It's a pretty good motto for life. I it mean, for, for many things, you can apply it, right? It's true, and it is, it is what has made, it, it is has what's made humanity achieve in all the amazing things we have built and designed and created it's it's really overcoming the can't you've left me wanting to absolutely conquer the world here <laughs> i thank you so much for your time thank you so much Baramakrati. thank you appreciate it thanks and that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening to Perk at Pod on zonecoverage.com. Be sure to follow them on all social media platforms. They're doing some amazing things here at this space. I'm telling you what, some really smart people up in this building for sure. And follow me on all social media platforms as well, if you will, uh, from Instagram to YouTube to Twitter, Facebook. You can usually find me at Perk at Play, one word. Find out what he'll say.